Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 74 for Friday the 7th of December 2018. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help discuss with me what's just happened to our country, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is Tom Ballard. Hiya Jeremy. From Tonightly and everything. Hi Tom, welcome back. <laughs> Formerly of Tonightly, now just a man living in this wonderful world thinking about what is happening to our country. It's a Thursday night we're recording this. I'm going to open a beer. That's how insane. Oh, yes. That's how wonderful this parliamentary week has been, I'd say. I feel like I've gone the wrong way because instead of getting a whiskey out, I've got a V. A V? Oh, God. Surely you'll have enough energy from your pure hatred at the events of this week. Surely that will get you G you up enough. Well, what I'm worried about is that because I take all this stuff in my stride so much and I, I think I get it I start speaking a bit more you know how slowly and authoritatively I usually speak sure um, I just figured that a V would help speed me up a bit get me a bit more sort of fired up so I could actually you know just so that people don't feel that it's just too sedate the pace of the words good, coming out of my mouth good theory so last day of the parliamentary year because apparently the 6th of December like that's that's even earlier than like private schools like what the hell like they just <laughs> They start their holidays early. They've worked very hard. Very hard, Jeremy. They've been working extremely hard to sink us all into the ocean and kill each other. So we need to, you know, they need a little break for Chrissy. What was it like that they're doing like 16 parliamentary days planned for next year or something ridiculous? When they were running out this deadline today and they're like, no, it has to be done by today. And, it's, and, and even if they were going to extend it to argue something, it still had to be today. It was just they would have to have sat past 4.30. You know, because that's, that's, that's time for afternoon tea. If you go past 4.30, like, you know, your, your, your Milo and your biscuits, will, like, it's just not the same. You'll, it'll be too close to dinner. So you've got to finish your parliamentary day at 4.30. Anyway, but they were still going to finish it out today. Maybe I shouldn't be doing a podcast where I'm asking a question that I haven't bothered looking up the answer to. But it doesn't. it seems to me like the parliament should have the power to, you know, call itself back to sit tomorrow or next week. But nah. this urgency of getting it done today before Christmas is entirely manufactured by the parliament and could easily just, the parliament itself could easily go, nah, we're coming back next week. Jeremy, stop it with all your silly questions, all right? These people get paid at least 200 grand a year. They must know what they're doing. Let's just trust that they have our best interests at heart. Well, I, I'm sure they do know what they're doing. Well, no, I'm not sure that they know what they're doing. So the Assistance and Access Bill, the AA Bill, the oh, sorry, the full name, Telecommunications and Other Legislation Amendment Assistance and Access Bill, the one where basically it forces tech companies to, well, what the government says and what the bill says and what the experts who've looked at the bill think the bill says seem to be quite different. But the experts who've looked at the bill seems to think, and the tech companies seem to think that this is going to require them to put backdoors in software in Australia, it's going to mean that Australian companies have to do that, which is going to bugger off their ability to sell tech overseas. But most importantly, it's going to bugger up all of the things that we rely on in order to live our lives and interact with each other, which requires some level of security. And they basically want to have this ability for the security agencies to force companies to put backdoors in and, in fact, compel third parties who've got nothing to do with any investigations to go and do this. And then once those vulnerabilities are there, well, it's all right. The government's confident that they won't be exploited by any ne'er-do-wells. So it'll be fine. <laughs> 
Yeah, imagine that happening. Oh, wait, that's happening heaps all around the world all the time. But it has to be done before Christmas because there might be some terrorisms. And, of course, uh, the ASIO definitely is going to be able to get tech companies to create these uh, backdoors in before Christmas because tech companies are definitely sitting there waiting for the government to compel them to write holes into their software. That'll definitely get done in the next less than three weeks before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and they've been sitting on this legislation since, what, June 2017 or something and pushed back deadline after deadline to actually get it through. But now it really needs to be done now, otherwise the terrorism. That's how much ISIS hate us, Jeremy. They don't even care that it's Christmas. That is so much like them. You're exactly right. Like this this thing of, it was 175 pages and it gets shoved in at the last minute. They've been sitting on it for a very long time. And then it's got to be done today. And the joint committee... Yeah, the joint committee of the Parliament of Security Intelligence, and, you know, these committees are often bullshit and often just serve up partisan results anyway. You know, maybe we don't care about them too much, but... Well, and the ALP people on that committee are really close to the security forces. Like, it's it's like the... The U.S. version, where the, where their you know, where their um, military committees, the the Democrats who are on them are the really right wing Democrats. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, wonderful. Same with the ALP on these ones. They even finished their report into this legislation, looking through it to make sure, you know to to raise questions about whether what impact it will have on civil liberties and security. And of course, the big question, even if you don't give give a shit about civil liberties, which I'm sure a bunch of people in uh, the Liberal Party don't, uh, if you have this the end of end to end encryption and someone finds out about how to unlock um, encrypted messages, that could be really bad for, I don't know, national security when people are trying to communicate messages that way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant... It's kind of a spectacular own goal for the spy agencies, really, there. Like, what, it, are we sure that it's our spy agencies who are asking for it? Because <laughs> it's possible that it was other spy agencies around the world who are like, hey, Australia, could you just make sure that all of your communications are much easier for us to access? But it's all right. It, it will definitely stop the terrorists because the terrorists, you know, don't know how to use burner phones. No, they've got no idea. And uh, I'm sure that as soon as this law is passed, they'll continue doing exactly what they're doing and the government will uncrack it and stop everything. Uh, the thing that it won't stop, of course, is the corruption within the uh, political classes as a, a, an exception that was suggested as part of the legislation is that bodies that look into the corruption of politicians should be exempt from the legislation and uh, the particular investigations. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. What the hell is that? Like, any of this shit, the fact that... when there's no whistleblower protections, because, of course, Australia doesn't have any whistleblower protections, so it'll be an excellent way for the government to track down public servants who leak stuff that the public needs to know, but the government would rather they didn't know. So it's going to be an excellent way for the government to stop us finding out about the bad shit that the government does. Yeah, it's a really good system. Um, you know, I mean, the tech submissions from Apple to the community about the legislation was talking about things like, you know, the government being able to track whether or not you've got a, a drug history or for tracking down those kind of offences as well. I mean, there's just a myriad of horrible possibilities that don't seem to be thought through at all. But at least this scheme that the government had of, like, sitting on this very complex legislation and then just going, quick, pass it before, don't look at it, you can't look, don't, don't wait for the translation, answer me now. That, you know, that scheme, which is obviously shitty, it's, it's really showing an absolute contempt for national security. This is not the, these are not the actions of a government that is interested in actually protecting us. This is the, the shoving 175-page bill through to try and get it passed without anybody looking at it. I mean, that's, that's shonky. So fortunately, at least, we have an opposition party because we're not a, you know, it's not a, we don't have a presidential system. We don't have, the, the government just wants it. So there it happens. We have a parliament and we have an opposition party. Uh, and I'm sure that the ALP said, no, no, if this is important, we need to just have the time to sit down and think about it. You're not going to get it through just by showing up with it at the last second and saying, got to be done now, got to be done now. Nah, we call bullshit. It's, if it's important, let us do it properly. 
we'll come back and we'll do it. There's there's no reason it's going to get done before Christmas anyway. Uh, so you're not going to be able to pass any of this this backdoor stuff before Christmas. It's not going to be implemented. So let's do it properly. And and any delay is because you sat on it for a year and a half. You know, Labor called back. I'm, I'm sure that's what happened, isn't it? That's that's Labor would have said no. You don't get away with this shit just um, by pulling this deliberate scheme at the last second. Jeremy, it's. You're supposed to read the news before we record this podcast. What are you doing? You're embarrassing yourself. Oh, it's something else, isn't it? <laughs> oh. So where, where do they end up? What 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 were the what were the actual amendments that they were going for? What was the bullshit that they called at all? While generally agreeing with the stupid contention behind the bill and trying to get it done in in time before the, uh, Parliament rises, what were they going well, for? Minor sort of judicial oversight stuff. So, but it's all but part of it is too that they were getting the government to propose. So they were saying what they wanted addressed, and then the government put forward like a hundred amendments all at once without them having time to look at them. So they just passed it anyway. So they was like, "Well, you promised that we, if we pass it as it is, then you know we can fix it in the Senate." But they don't even know what the amendments are. Labor hasn't put the amendments in. These are the government's amendments that are supposedly addressing Labor's concerns. But Labor hasn't even been able to check that that's the case because the government's like, "No, it's going to be done now." Uh, just but it'd be fine it'd be fine if we passed it because eventually i'm sure the security agencies once the threat of terrorism is defeated right. once we actually win the war on terror then i'm sure the once sec- we've killed every terrorist yeah yeah then the security agencies will say thank you very much for all those powers here they are back uh we're all done with these thanks very much well that's true and also um i note that whenever they realize that the powers that they demanded didn't help in any way like you know they demanded all these powers last time and then the incident took place in melbourne and they had no idea what, about that at all um, so clearly they were like, oh, well, cool. Well, that stuff that we got last time didn't help. So here, have it back. Those civil liberties, we, we obviously, <laughs> no, that didn't happen either. God damn it. So basically, no matter what happens, if there's a terrorist attack, we need more powers. If there isn't a terrorist attack, well, that's because we're doing such a good job of keeping you safe. We need more powers. So it never ends. And there is nothing that the ALP, it looks like pretty much the government can put anything before the ALP. The, I'm sure that, we've, uh, have we talked about this before? I'm definitely sure I've ranted about this before. It feels like ASIO has a list of each of the things that they would like and the steps that they have to, you know, what's the next thing that we can gra- graduate to? And they just sort of work their way down the list yeah. And you know, at, at regular intervals. And the government says, if you don't pass this next thing, then you, you hate national security and you're, you're a friend to terrorists. And the Labour Party goes, oh, shit, they said national security. Oh, well, we've got to vote for it now, you know. It's it's Marty McFly and, and being called chicken. They, <laughs> the government's like the ALP's like no, we really need to look at this legislation before we pass it. Does it actually help? Has there any, been any assessment of whether this is actually you know from anybody other than the security agencies who want the power? Has anybody looked at it sensibly? And then the government goes, yeah. What are you, a national security chicken? And then they like hold a bat behind their head that goes. Bark, 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 bark. Wasn't Marty McFly called Yellow in the third movie? Oh, he's called Yellow in the in the third one. Oh, right, old back in the West. I see. I see. Well, just leave my <laughs> friends alone. What's wrong, dude? You yellow! That's what I thought. Yellow belly. Nobody calls me yellow. Yeah, no. Oh, uh, yeah, they go with the chicken. No, no. Yep. In the 2015 version, like where, where Biff has a bat that makes noises, it's. Um... <laughs> the answer's no, Griff. No? Yeah, what are you, deaf and stupid? I said no! What's wrong, McFly? Chicken? What did you call me, Griff? Chicken! McFly! Nobody calls me... Chicken. 
let's, let's work in some toxic masculinity here. That'd be great. Of course, they had to give Marty an arc because he didn't have another arc. And they're like, shit, we want to make two movies, so... The only upside to this is if the legislation goes through and then they they break all those WhatsApp groups that uh, politicians seem to have amongst themselves. I would, I would appreciate that if all that shit came out and we got to see absolutely everything that all these fucking assholes say to each other in their little WhatsApp groups. I would enjoy that very much. Yeah, but I suspect that long before we find that out, it'll be people who have even more nefarious schemes for us than the Australian Liberal Party who'll figure it out. Like I, I feel, I feel like the people who tell us about it will be the last ones to find out. It'll be the people who have some schemes to do with that. I'll figure it out first. Yeah, true. So that the ALP voted for it in the lower house, but then they didn't even the, the other big thing happening that was supposed to be happening on this last day. And before they sort of paused from there, telling each other they were they were destroying the country and and putting us all at great risk to uh, say some nice things about each other's families. And and Scott Morrison was saying how you know the important thing is for all of us now at this time of year we're going to be able to go off and spend time with our families and uh, enjoy enjoy that Christmas break. And I'm thinking not the people on Nauru who you're separating from their families and making them sign over their kids and bully them into signing these... You know the documents they make them sign, giving up their their kids. The Australian government gives them a, a document that's like, yes, um, you can go to America, but only if you abandon your children. I mean, that's a good Christmas. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It, they don't count as people. Yeah, that's the vibe. The also, I also loved the, um, and I tweeted about this, just the absolute hypocrisy. You know, this debate also about the privatization of Queensland's electricity assets uh, came up. And uh, of course, the Liberal Party said that was an absolute scare campaign being run by the Labor Party. Anyway, Bill Shorten's probably a terrorist for not passing this legislation. Like, just the most barefaced in the same breath, uh, ramping up the scare campaign that the alternative prime minister is a friend to terrorists and a threat, a clear and present threat to national security, while also getting worked up about the, I wouldn't say a scare campaign at all, that the coalition might be interested in selling off some public assets, something they've been quite keen on in the past. Here's the audio I'll play of Scott Morrison saying that okay, it's going to be something that I think that you would like to hear, Tom. Unfortunately, it's Scott Morrison saying it, not the ALP, and I don't think that the ALP feels bound by what Scott Morrison says that they want. Now Labor want to abolish offshore processing as we know it, turn it into a transit lounge. They want to abolish offshore processing as we know it. Tom, I mean, okay, the as we know it bit is the uh, crux of it, isn't it? Like, it's, it's like the thing of... As we know and love it, yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's like, it's like the, the um, line that they constantly say that they've stopped the boats arriving when they remember to, they sometimes try and fudge it and they're like we've stopped people uh drowning at sea we've stopped their voyages but then they have to admit that they because of course they are still coming and they are still turning people around and they are still people are still drowning and there's no evidence that they're not the lie is to try and pretend that people not arriving is the same as people not getting on boats so yeah i noted that they pass things very carefully because for morrison to be like labor is planning to abolish offshore processing sadly not true it'd be nice if it was true that would be wonderful but no, but he's like, as we know it, yes. Yes, as we know it currently. Even though this, they've already removed a whole bunch of people from Nauru because of medical reasons. Now, apparently, if you just need the sign-off from two uh, actual medical doctors, like the advice of medical professionals who can give a judgment saying that these people cannot stay in this fucking hellhole anymore because it's seriously affecting their mental health and is a risk to them being able to live anymore whilst they're in Australia's care... Uh, you know, that's already happened a whole bunch of times. There are hundreds and hundreds of people being removed from those islands who are living uh, in Australian communities now. Um, so it's not that much of a change at all. It's just in, in enforcing the rule that says that these people have to get out of there because staying there will kill them. Right. Well, I'm going to drop in here Scott Morrison describing this as basically 
destroying uh, all of our offshore processing successes because he know he beat the people smugglers before Tom. He beat them. You make that change to that process for offshore processing, the people smugglers, it'll be in their brochures by this afternoon. That's where it'll be. I mean, we always think that this stuff uh, is, is marketed differently in the, in the minds of 12,000 people sitting in Indonesia. They're not going to sit there and read a Senate report or anything like that. They'll hear the people smuggler who sidles up to them and says, hey, guess what? The Australians have changed the legislation. You won't have to stay on Nauru or, or Manus. All you have to do is get some doctor in Australia to sign it off and it's all good, mate. It's all good. And then they'll be on their way. They'll be selling the tickets again. They'll be selling the tickets again. I know this. I lived it. I understand the intelligence that sits behind it. I know how the smugglers operate because I've beaten them before. He knows that they're just waiting for the opportunity to come and destroy... Well... I will do everything in my power to ensure that these suggested changes that would undermine our border protection laws never see the light of day. I will do whatever I can, whatever I can. I'll fight them using whatever tool or tactic I have available to me to ensure that we do not undermine our border protection laws. Somehow, the way they portray this is that this is a threat to national security, that letting... Uh, in, a, in a small number of cases, letting vulnerable people on Nauru who need to be here for medical reasons come somehow will destroy this country. Now, I haven't, you know, I mean, I've, I live in Melbourne. I haven't recently lived in the in, in the in the in Sydney or anywhere or Canberra or anywhere more powerful. But I hadn't realised that our country was about to crumble. It was a flimsy, flimsy thing made of paper that could uh, collapse if a couple of refugees arrived here in exactly the same way as other refugees have arrived here and got some kind of medical care. But apparently... Yeah, that's because you read The Guardian, Jeremy. Your head's up your ass, all right? You don't see the real Australia out there. You don't see the real threat that Daddy Scott Morrison does. And he knows that if you bring a sick child that we are killing with our offshore detention program to Australia for medical treatment, Australia's done. 1901 to 2018. RIP. The end. I don't think any of us saw it coming, but uh, if that's if that's the way that we go out... By the way, I'm, I'm just getting a... Uh, I'm being handed a, a, a breaking uh, piece of news here, which I hadn't seen. Opposition leader Bill Shorten announces Labor will withdraw its encryption mm, amendments, God. thereby allowing the bill to become law, provided the government agrees to pass them in the first sitting week of next year. Oh, my God. Tom, what the frick is Labor doing? What are you doing? You, you are... You are in front... The government is imploding. They are in minority. There are more crossbenchers that are sympathetic to your agenda than the government. You are crushing this. You would have to be a moron to lose the next election. You have the power. You have the upper hand. What the fuck are you doing, you idiots? Tom, they said that Bill Shorten was a clear and present danger. That was Scott Morrison. Oh Labor knows that people Lord. love Scott Morrison and believe the things that he says. And if he said that about <laughs> Bill, people might believe it. So Labor has to do whatever it is that the Liberals tell them that they want. That if they don't do it, they're weak. Come on. Unless you want everyone in division to think you're chicken. Nobody calls me chicken needles. Nobody. Well, just Bill and Scott should just get out their dicks and just measure it to put this to rest once and for all. So we finally know. That is insane. 
I guess this is the thing, and we'll get to it in a minute because I'm going to talk about um, some great unhinging from the right this week, both in relation to the Victorian election, which we haven't actually, this is the first episode we've done since that because um, last week we were off. But it, there is a sort of a theme I've noticed there, and it is that in the case of the way they, that the Conservatives are angry about what happened at the Victorian election, it's that when they talk about their, their leaders not being strong on the things that they talk about, they don't mean that they don't hold policy positions that they agree with. Like in the case of Matthew Guy, who is pretty much with them on all the anti-safe school stuff and all the nasty stuff that they're complaining that he wasn't strong enough about. What it is that they're objecting to is that they that when they have leaders that don't do a good job of advocating for the position. Like if you're going to have a leader of a political side, they need to do a good job of persuading people in the middle that the way they approach the issue it's the right one. So in the case of the dickhead liberals, if they are going to um, be running culture war shit and hope that people in, in uh, middle Australia have just completely given up on it and gone, we're not interested in that shit anymore, stop it. They need to try and do, from the conservative point of view, scare them. They need to be saying... And I mean, they, and the problem is, I think, that they are doing that. And the problem is that, that their position is so dumb that they can't actually... Argue, they don't have any new arguments for it because it is a fundamentally nonsense argument. All their scumongering about, you know, safe schools and whatever is is a nonsense argument, which is why I think they're having great... I don't think it's for any lack of wanting to advocate for the, those nasty positions. It's that they think that they've run out of ideas because they're shit ideas. They, they don't, they're, they're illogical positions in the first place, which is why they lost the um, marriage equality stuff in the end. But on the left, I reckon that that is a thing that we are really screwed by, the fact that the ALP will not advocate for... Well, in the case of the national security stuff, but also in the case of, I mean, obviously refugees are the big one because part of the difficulty that Labor has in coming back when when Morrison is telling lies about that the people aren't drowning anymore or and that that that, that um, offshore processing, when, when he's attacking Labor for the cost of offshore processing under Labor. Like, if Labor hadn't done that shit, Labor could turn around and say, oh, sorry, Labor wouldn't be able to be blamed for the cost of offshore processing. It'd be able, they would be able to attack the government for how much they waste torturing these people on remote hell camps. But Labor is massively weakened and with their hands tied behind their back on those arguments because they did it themselves. They're massively weakened when they're turning around and saying, hang on, you're not, you don't give a shit about people drowning. There are safe ways of getting them here. Hell, you could let them have visas to come by air. There, there's one way of, help, of helping people get here safely and then you process them when they get here. Nobody's going to drown that way. Um, or alternatively, you could stop doing things to make the boats more dangerous, like destroying boats and, and penalising people regardless of whether they're safe boats or not, which basically forces people to run criminal dangerous boats because they don't give a shit. The only people doing them are going to run disposable boats because you're going to destroy them at the other end. Like, there's a whole lot of things that they do that make that trip dangerous. But, you know, as Porter was made clear in Parliament this afternoon, what he's really bothered by is when people get here safely. It's not really by the people drowning. But Labour should be able to turn around and... and Call them on this shit, but they can't because you've had people like Albanese, and we've played this audio on a previous episode, saying that the government was right and Labor was wrong. What we know now is that uh, the government's policies have uh, stopped the boats, uh, that they're, they're not coming. We got some things wrong. Insane. Yeah, and that hurts. It's not just that Labor is running this line now, it's that running this small target bullshit 
it has its own problem um, in that it means that the conservatives can always just push one step further and Labor just has to keep jumping because their only argument is we're no different. So they just keep having to get worse and worse. And the conservatives know that. So that's why they keep pushing. And you're never, you're never going to win that goddamn game. You are never going to out-conservative the conservatives. You are never going to out-nationalise uh, the goddamn nationalists and the people who are prepared. The party of John Howard is always going to beat you when it comes to beating chest bullshit, okay? You're never going to win that game. And as you say, exactly, they'll just keep moving further and further to the right, more and more harsh uh, infringements on human rights and civil liberties, and you are going to look pathetic and without any moral, as you say, moral, no moral high ground whatsoever to stand on to call out this bullshit fascism nonsense um, every time they pull it out. Be in opposition, you assholes. Well, you can't even do it logically. No. Well, that's right, because they've conceded so much foundational bullshit that there's no logical way for them to argue against it. Like, the the first point of arguing against the government's policy is to point out that it doesn't save any lives. Their whole lie that it's that it's stopping people drowning at sea. What, dragging boats back to sea stops people drowning at sea? How? <laughs> like, that's insane. It's not the bit when people arrive when they're at risk of drowning at sea. It's when they when you turn them back. It's the bit when they, they leave on the journey and they're still leaving on the journey. So, but yeah, you can't... And I don't know how Labor fixes it now because they've, they've spent so long down this stupid rabbit hole giving, giving the coalition cover for its line that they kind of need to burn it down and go, we were wrong and we should never have considered any of this stuff because it was nonsense. But I don't know how the current parliamentarians can do that. Like they need to... The only way it can ever be fixed is for Labor to just sort of completely implode get a have a whole new a whole new party all new people who can turn around and say no they were wrong those old labor people and god knows what harm would be done in the meantime yeah i can only see some sort of progress being made if labor found itself in a coalition government again with the the greens if they went into a deal and the greens asked for some serious um concessions there in that in that respect that feels like the quickest way for that to happen i feel like that would be more likely to happen than labor currently finding its backbone and its conscience well, because we're so far down the track too, of, of like torturing people on Nauru doesn't isn't even necessary now. Even if you your plan was to stop refugees coming to Australia, which is the fundamental problem, because we should never be doing that in the first place. Like the the fundamental aim of the legislation to drive refugees away is morally bankrupt and wrong, and also destructive to our country. Like our country is built on immigration. Refugees make amazing immigrants because they are. Really, like somebody who crosses the world to come here, flees persecution and wants to start a new life, they make fantastic citizens. Not that that's not that, that should be the great the basis on which we offer compassion, but like purely from a selfish point of view, like they make very good citizens. Um, but if your premise was simply we want to stop them coming here uh, and without them drowning, well, oh sorry, <laughs> no boat turnbacks don't achieve that. But if your your aim is to simply stop them coming here. The boat turnbacks already do that. Like, they're not letting people come. So you don't need to do the torturing them on remote hell islands. Like, that's got... It's like this redundant, malicious persecution just because Scott Morrison once told these people that they would be there till the day they died and they can, unless they went back to the war zone. And so they've just got to keep punishing these people for daring to seek refuge forever, even though it's got nothing... There's no purpose to it. And the Abbott government found themselves in that position because Kevin Rudd went insane and went further right than anyone, even further than John Howard had and said that people in offshore detention would never be resettled in Australia. Yeah. John Howard did that, remember. People on Nauru under the Howard government were eventually resettled in Australia because even the psychopaths in the Howard government 
government said, oh, we can't just let them stay there forever. That would be insane. Imagine the Howard government seeming moderate. What? Yeah. Just going, we can't possibly do that. So there you have the, the bizarre reverse where the coalition was in a position where it had to be as tough, quote unquote, tough, quote unquote, as uh, Labour had ended up at the end of the Rudd prime ministership. What, what a fucking horrific legacy from Rudd to return to the prime ministership and throw that out there and results in this country ending up in the fucking moral quagmire that we are now. Yeah. Hell with that guy. There's nothing to be separate. Like, he, he, that was a monstrous thing to do. I don't, it didn't even achieve anything for them. Save the furniture, Jeremy. Save the furniture. But it didn't. No. But yeah, fundamentally, the idea that with the Greens they could at least... See, Labour could, could turn around now and if they were forced to do it, they would never do it by themselves, but if they were forced to work with the Greens, God knows, before the next election they'll probably pull the same shit that Daniel Andrews did in Victoria of going, we will never form a coalition with the Greens or like bind themselves in an attempt. You know, they'll do it the same as Julie Gillard's there'll be no carbon taxing attempt to force voters to choose them over the Greens because they would never work with the Greens and then when the numbers are there and they have to work with the Greens then they start off having broken a promise from the beginning because it was a dumb promise they should never have made so what's the bet that Labor will pull that shit in April next year to stop people stop the coalition going you love the Greens you love the Greens no I don't I hate the Greens I've never worked with the Greens God that was my impression of the ALP being children was it chilling where did that legislation end up at the end of uh, Parliament? Has it all been pushed off into the, the never-never and they've just agreed to the encryption stuff? Yep. Great. Yeah, so they basically... Well, Senate dealt with it, but it couldn't get to the House of Reps because they'd all gone off on holiday. Because it was time for their Milo and biscuits so they could have time to digest them whilst playing with Lego before dinner without it ruining their appetite. Mm. God. Anyway, so that's the end of the parliamentary year, um, and what a scummy year it's been. From I mean, they they they, they did an apology to the children that they that had been abused, who the current government had voted against there even being an inquiry into that in the first place. Um, Tom, what do you do? You have highlights from the year of, of uh, sheer shititude from this particular crappy parliament? <laughs> I mean, lots of minority shit. Like, I mean, obviously you have got your crank, your Fraser Annings, and your your. your your um, Barnaby Joyce's and all that sort of shit. But um, in terms of the real harm that this parliament has been able to do to people, like, there, there any, I, I mean, I, I still think that the longest longest lasting harm that this parliament's done to people is probably, I mean, apart from, you know, destroying refugee children out of sheer malice, um, probably the bit where they just sort of cut a giant hole in the budget by giving away all that revenue to the to rich people in tax cuts. I mean, that was... That was that's got the long legs. That was wonderful. While at the same time, yeah, refusing to consider uh, increasing New Start at all, um, and that's same on Labor too. Fuck off with your review, Labor. It's pretty easy. New Start needs to be raised. End of review. The end. Um, yeah. I mean, that was great. Pick a number. Talk to ACOS. ACOS know what they're talking about. Yeah, they'll help you out there, my friends. Pick that number. Um, well, I mean, it's it's just hard for me to go past the insanity around energy policy all all year. This these absolute cretins, these morons and dildos. Sorry for the language. Uh, who uh, still have influence in our? I don't think dildo is just the rudest word that we've said on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, the fact that there are still climate deniers in the Australian Parliament in 2018 that have actual influence and sway, and who refuse to. Well, actually, I, I think the peak horrificness there is just Scott Morrison's attitude towards the children who are protesting. Like, that's a goddamn gimme, you idiot. Praise children who are getting politically active to stand up for what they believe in, even if you don't agree with them, whatever. Don't tell children who are taking time and energy to fight for their own future, because that's what science says needs to happen, and dismiss them, you absolute 
asshole. He's not a baby boomer, Scott Morrison. I found that out recently. He's technically Gen X, but my God, he has baby boomer energy coming out the wazoo. Which is really where baby boomers expel that energy anyway. That that is that is where it, where it emanates. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play some audio. So this is Morrison in Parliament. Uh, denigrating the kids for daring to go and have. A- By the way, this is after that the, the um, Libs had announced how few few days they were going to actually sit next year. So here's here's Morrison. Mr. Speaker, climate change is a very real and serious issue, which demands the attention of governments at all levels, and it has the attention of this government. But I'll tell you what, we're also committed to. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. We're not. We don't support the idea of kids not going to school to participate in things that can be dealt with outside of school. We do not support our schools being turned into parliaments, Mr Speaker. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Uh-huh. Okay, first of all, the schools aren't being turned into parliaments because they've... They're not in school. That's the whole fucking point. That striking from school to hit the streets to protest about something that's going to affect them in the future, according to everybody. So the idea that schools are being turned into parliaments is absolutely ridiculous when you're talking about a protest that is entirely about striking from school. That's just the technical alien point. Generally, you are an asshole. How dare you? I can't believe you're the Prime Minister of my country. I cannot wait until you're out in your ass, sir. Well, look, I admire his uh, plan to antagonise future voters that are clearly politically engaged and active. And we'll go through some of the other ways that the rest of his party, the rest of his front bench have also been pulling that shit. But no, <laughs> it's not like a parliament because they're actually engaged in an issue and fighting genuinely for actual policy that addresses an issue, which makes it very, very different from any kind of Australian parliament. Yes, exactly. Right? He's like, these things can be dealt with outside of the parliament, uh, in the parliament rather, outside of school. They're not, you arsehole. That's the entire point your party doesn't believe in climate change seriously enough and isn't doing jack shit about it that's why they're protesting i feel like they would have preferred to go and i've got other kid things that i could be doing but okay so there's a bunch of different ways that dickhead right-wing politicians address this stuff so you had the incredibly patronizing uh, remarks from liberal senator james mcgrath who i did do you know tom he found a spelling error in one placard by one student <laughs> yep Yep, he found a spelling error because it misspelled jealous without an A. And he wrote, and I really hope that somebody has, I mean, it's so it's so obvious that, this, that, that there will be plenty of examples of this that I'm willing to bet that nobody's even going to bother doing it. But I'm willing to bet that Senator McGrath's publicly funded professional output will have regular spelling errors in it or grammatical errors or God, any other ones. But anyway, no, Senator, Senator McGrath decided to do the classic. You know how as soon as you, there's a, I'm sure there's a law of this. Isn't there, there's a law that whenever you criticise somebody else's for bad grammar or spelling or something, you will, in within a five-minute span of that, make a, a humiliating cock-up along those lines yourself. It's, I'm sure it's an innate law of the universe. Anyway, this is Senator McGrath. Given some of the creative spelling on display at yesterday's Queensland Teachers Union-endorsed muck-up day, perhaps these children's teachers and parents might like to refocus their attention on the three R's of which rioting is not one of them. And then he like did the Doctor Evil thing of like putting his little finger in his house and going, mm. "What? The fuck? Which riot? Is Which is a riot? You fucking idiot! Jesus! What? Just you could not be bigger nerds if you tried. You absolute losers! And also, he doesn't need to make a spelling mistake in order to be embarrassed by that comment. He is in a party with Barry O'Sullivan, Ian McDonald, 
He's in coalition with Barnaby Joyce, numbskulls, absolute idiots who shouldn't be anywhere near the levers of power whatsoever. And he's picking on children who haven't spelt a certain word correctly in a sign where they try to draw attention to the end of the world. You dumpster. Well, it's really easy to make a spelling error on a sign because you're not like writing it like you normally would. You're doing one giant letter at a time. Like it's really easy to just muck that up. <laughs> As you get, like human beings. It's, ah, oh, what a dickhead. Worse was Liberal MP Craig Kelly, who told Fairfax that if... By the way, he sits on the House of Reps Environment and Energy Committee. He said that if the children were serious about combating climate change, they should forgo ice creams and hamburgers. Quote, Given that the agricultural sector and the dairy sector is such a big contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, they should say they're going to go without ice creams for 12 months. If they're really serious, they should make a commitment. No ice cream, no hamburgers, and no trips to the Gold Coast for schoolies because of all the emissions from the airplanes. Absolute vote winner there. Absolute. He's onto a winner there. No, but he's he's got his finger on the pulse. Young people like ice cream and hamburgers and the Gold Coast. (laughs) So, you know, they should... what what else to um no Fortnite and no Minecraft because they use electricity um and no um what are the other things that kids like you can't have any of those things because um, because clearly clearly when the kids are advocating for us to have emissions uh, targets and to produce energy and do things in a way that is environment that still produces the um result the, the energy that that they wish to consume still produces the things. Nobody, they're not advocating for us to like smash all the power plants and live in the dark ages. They're advocating for us to do it more efficiently. Yes, but no, obviously I need to take their argument to the an absurd extreme that they should give up everything that they like, which nobody's asking for. But the, you see this all the time, this insane individualistic approach uh, to climate change was always brought out in bad faith. Paul Joseph Watson retweeted Bernie Sanders tweeting about um, like climate change, like the Green New Deal. And he's like, you you spent $300,000 on private jet fees. Shut up. It's like, yeah, the guy was running for the Democratic nomination across the US and he was running for president on a platform of seriously tackling climate change. Don't you understand how the mechanisms of state work and the individual choices of one human being are just absolutely nothing and will not make the difference when it comes to affecting the way that humans are cooking the planet. Of course, they don't actually care about that. They just want to try and do these bullshit hypocrisy arguments that don't mean anything. Well, no, because there's a profound difference between there are some problems with the system that we should change, but in the meantime, people have to live within the existing system. So, yes, I would love there to be more energy-efficient ways to travel, but that doesn't exist now. Like, we're advocating for the yep. thing to change so that then our personal emissions and so forth. Like, I'm sure that these people do what they can within their lives to minimise their emissions and to minimise the impact and so forth. But the point of is, if you're advocating... It's like the one that they also run against, the traitorous rich, those evil rich people who don't actually advocate for the rich people, the evil rich people who are actually like, yeah, actually, I'm going to use my privilege and my platform to advocate for the people who are less well-off than me. And yeah. instead of that being, oh, I, okay, so you're advocating against your own personal interests, you're advocating for something that would make the world better, even though you personally would actually be worse off under it. Okay, well, mm. that's clearly a principled moral chance. No, they're like, hypocrite, traitor. <laughs> the only oh, moral thing for a rich person to advocate is for their own self-interest. Yeah. I see you're criticising capitalism, and yet you pay rent in a house. Convenient much? <laughs> Well, if the only way that I, that you can be genuinely, if, if you're advocating for the interests of the very poor and people who have to live under bridges, 
You can only do that if you have literally given everything up and live under a bridge yourself. Dumbos. But then only people living under bridges can advocate for people living under bridges. Hello, Future Jeremy here. I just wanted to make one other comment about the Craig Kelly thing that I forgot to make while I was chatting with Tom, which was if Craig Kelly wants students to boycott the dairy and meat industry, then I reckon that the students should fire back with Craig Kelly, you've asked us to put our money where our mouth is or our, our principles where our mouths are uh, and give up meat and dairy. Uh, if we do that, will you support uh, action on climate change? Uh, because if so, uh, we will commit to uh, boycott those industries and make it very clear that that boycott is being prompted by Craig Kelly. It's to persuade Craig Kelly. It's based on Craig Kelly's uh, commentary. And uh, see how the uh, meat and dairy industries respond and... and uh, thank Craig Kelly for putting them in the middle of uh, this climate change fight and uh, Craig Kelly effectively telling students to boycott them if they want to be taken seriously. Yeah, Craig Kelly, friend to the agricultural sector. And then there was the classic Matt Canavan response as well, uh, who suggested that the kids uh, won't learn anything. I'll play you the audio. Oh, you've got it? Please, hit it. It's actually not the full audio, but I'll play you the bit that we've got and, and read you the other part. Walking off school and protesting, you don't learn anything from that. You, you, you know, the best thing you learn about going for a protest is how to join the doll queue. You absolute <laughs> dickhead. By the way, how? So which part of the protest is teaching you how to join Because he's like, the end part of that quote, which I didn't get the audio, is because that's what your future life will look like, up in a line asking for a handout, not actually taking charge for your life and getting a real job. I, I, I don't know, unless... Canavan is revealing that the government's like taking photos of all these kids and making sure that you know there's a list somewhere that the employers can make sure they don't ever hire them. What? What the hell is that going to a protest on a day got to do with getting a job in the future? Yeah, as if these kids what? aren't clearly nerds like I was at that age and are going to be absolutely proactive and are going to goddamn hopefully change the country with their passion and their intellect. These are some of the most engaged. Like, you know, high-succeeding high students probably at the school, you absolute <laughs> dumpster fire. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know where I was going with that one. I mean, he's the same one who thought that, you know, Adani being approved was, like, was great news and that all the kids should be learned about uh, mining and fucking extracting stuff. That's what kids get excited about. I mean, they could not be bigger school monitors, cops, and nerds if they tried. <sighs> this, by the way, I'm, I'm going to... The last bit of audio I've got about the... The, the patronising dickheads getting stuck into the kids making this protest is, of course, the most patronising uh, dickhead um, of all, uh, Alan Jones. Have you heard this audio? No, please. Which prompts the question, where have these children learned all this stuff? And this massive <laughs> protest confirms the classrooms become the instrument of propaganda that we knew it was. I wonder how many of the children marching and protesting would know the percentage of the atmosphere that is carbon dioxide. The answer is 0.04 of a percent. I wonder, do they know how much human beings contribute to that? The answer around the world, 3%. And how much do Australians contribute? 1.3% of the 3%. This is equivalent to a speck of sugar on the Harbour Bridge and then someone arguing the Harbour Bridge is dirty. One of my staff has a son in high school. My staffer asked how many of his son's mates went to the climate change protest outside Parliament House last Friday. His son said none. The boy then said, if it was lunchtime on a Saturday, and they had to turn up in their school uniform, there wouldn't be one kid in Macquarie Street. Smart boy. Dickhead. Um, <laughs> first of all, 3%, human beings changing 3%, like the, the amount of carbon dioxide, given how finely tuned the, planet, the planet's atmosphere is, that's actually huge. Well, I don't know why, why Alan Jones 
thinks that there's a magic atmosphere that we can just keep pouring whatever we else like into it. We can release all the carbon compounds that we like into the atmosphere and they will magically have no effect even though the greenhouse effect is something very easy to demonstrate. And clearly... Okay, okay, no, I do understand what it is. Um, Alan Jones is right. What the kids are revealing is that they that the schools are pushing science. They are teaching the kids science. The kids are learning about science. And what's next? Are they going to learn mathematics? <laughs> then they're going to be able to call bullshit on every economic policy put out by the liberals. Tom, how far does this go? It's propaganda, mate. Like, they're learning English. They'll, they'll be able to read and write. They'll be able to see what shit the government's doing. These schools educating people rather than keeping them a dumb, illiterate, ignorant mass, they're a real threat to this government. You genuinely feel like some of these people would like to go back to, like, Dickensian London when kids were just, didn't even go to school, they just went straight into the uh, factories and didn't ask questions. Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that does seem to fit in with a lot of the policies <laughs> that they push. I love it. On zero-hour contracts with no minimum wage. Yeah, you don't need an education for that. I do also like the per capita thing. Because there's two different issues that, that, that they run this in. Like, they, they run in relation to law and order stuff. So they're like, here's a group of people. There aren't very many Sudanese. Um, there's people from the Sudanese community. There aren't very many people from that community in Melbourne. But the number of, of people from that community, or young people, basically, who, who've been involved in some crime, is proportionately large because the community is so tiny. Therefore, they're a real problem. Even though the overall amount of crime being committed in, in that community is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the crime in the state. But in that case, they're like, no, but per capita, it's really big. As if that's how you tackle crime, like as if it matters, as if like addressing, uh, picking on the Sudanese people in the way that the, the right-wing media in Victoria tried to do uh, will somehow reduce crime. But as if that will then encourage other groups, of the much more numerous groups um, of people committing other types of crimes or committing the same types of crimes, but not from that community, would, would look at what we did to the Sudanese people and go, oh, I've learned my lesson, I won't do that. That's nonsense. The difference between that and what happens in the climate, of course, is that, yes, it's got to be a global effort, but we as a country can only advocate for other countries to do more. And you're right. I mean, Alan Jones is right. Australia is a um, small emitter globally. The problem is that we're so high per capita that we have no credibility to argue that any of the much bigger polluters should Pull, the, pull it back. Like, we have no ability to advocate for anyone else to do anything while we are such terrible offenders ourselves. Like, quite rightly, China can turn around and say, who are you to lecture us when you're per capita emitting so much more than us? Like, our ability to do anything. In this case, the per capita thing is important because it's how we can influence other people, whereas the crime thing, it doesn't make any sense because the group in, qu in question won't be influencing the other, other people who are more numerous but in this case yeah because climate action on climate change is like a global thing that we need to negotiate we do need to have be doing our part otherwise everybody else will tell us to get stuffed but then of course i mean australia's done more than not do our part we've actually gone out there and adv actively advocated to sabotage all of these international agreements as well so that's a, that's a separate thing we could stop doing that but if we stop doing that we can't advocate for anything any genuine action from big groups when we're so shit at it anyway that's the per capita thing i just had a rant sorry <laughs> Well said, sir. But I think on the whole, this is all very good news for progressive people because the more that the coalition does stuff like this, I mean, it's, I mean, like, you, you they have not had a worse couple of weeks, like, across the board. And 
I'd say let them just keep doing it. I mean, as much as it makes us angry in the moment, on the whole, it makes me very happy because it just makes uh, makes us realise that they're not learning anything. They have no idea as to where the public, the real Australian public, where most people are actually at on this stuff. And they just keep telling themselves that the, the answer to all their problems is to move further and further right, uh, which, you know, theoretically and hopefully will set them up for electoral wipeout. All right, well, that, that leads us neatly into what happened in Victoria. I'm going to drop in here the audio, which I don't know if... Have you seen the, the audio of Michael Kroger, the Victorian state Liberal president, which Labor have basically has taken all of his words and put them into an ad? Because <laughs> he, he's trying to say, look, we lost because Labor was promising people stuff and people like getting free stuff. But what he actually says in this ad is... like It's like they're so close to grasping why it is that people wouldn't vote for them but that's not the lesson they're learning the lesson they're, they're trying they're, they're trying to take from it is no no we're still right it's just we have to do a better job of explaining to people why all of the stuff that they think they want and need is wrong here is michael kroger but I've t- i haven't taken this from the original interview this is the labor ad where they've just taken out the bits where he pretty much explains why you should vote for the labor party in victoria this premier daniel andrews has embarked on the biggest infrastructure spend Australia has ever seen. He's removed level crossings in big numbers. It's a very visual sign of a government doing something. He's promised schools, hospitals. He's building a big underground train network. He's promised another underground train network. He's building a massive uh, uh, road link in the northeast. I mean, this is a government that that has embarked on the biggest infrastructure spend in history, schools, hospitals. And in addition to that, He's saying there's no tax increases, uh, no levies, no tolls. In an era of no wage growth, no real wage growth, he's offered free TAFE, free dental for schools, free three-year-old kinder, uh, free sanitary products, um, a whole range of free things, um, free breakfast, solar panels, and people love public expenditure on roads, hospitals, trains and schools. This is the genesis of the Andrews government's success. The guy took a huge risk. Uh, in putting this agenda out, and he's been rewarded for it. For people to say it's got to do with the state president or Nick Greiner or Fred Nurk or Harry the Clown, um, you know, or it's all about the feds, that's all nonsense. That's all nonsense. We were beaten on policy and Labor outdid us, and I congratulate them. Yeah, amazing. So there's a lot of spectacular unhinging from the right-wing commentariat about Victoria, and what they seem to think it was that I mean, just here, here are some takes. You've got Peter Credlin saying that the um, Burke Street knife attack it worked against the coalition. Quote, terrorism made it tougher for the coalition after that incident in Burke Street. You couldn't go out there hard in at least that immediate week for fear of looking like you're politicising the issue. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what they did. They did go hard on it. They tried to say, hey, we wouldn't have, if it had been for us, he'd have been locked up because he was, he, we would... In fact, they specifically decided they were going to change the bail laws to make them even more stupid. Like, Victoria already has the worst bail... And when I say worst, I mean the most severe and least humane bail laws in this country at this point, after the last couple of years of, of paranoia about bail laws. Um, but the Libs, the Libs specifically said, oh, well, if it were up to us, he would be in jail, because although it was about a speeding offence and that, that that's what he was on bail for, we would have just locked him up. Our solution to stop one random knife attack in Melbourne is to lock up everyone who's committed a speeding offence. <laughs> we just would have told that his vibe was bad and he was going to do bad things. It was it was a you know minority report pre-crime situation and we would have known. 
just madness. And then Miranda Devine had this whole thing where she was getting stuck into Matthew Guy for not going strong enough against safe schools. And we talked about this earlier. But when he in they, they did a debate down in Frankston, um, and Matthew Guy was trying not to reveal. Uh, he was trying not to give any quotes where about how much their policy was trying to get stuck into LGBTI kids. He was hoping that the fundamentalists who wanted him to do that were already on board, and they were. They were the ACL had people out there door knocking all over the place, particularly down down towards Frankston. But he was trying to not scare the, everybody else by saying, "Oh no, 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 we, we, we're going to be looking after everyone." Um, and Miranda's like. This was his opportunity to say that safe schools was indoctrinating people so that they could change gender every every afternoon, teaching children that ge- they were gender fluid and every few minutes they could change their gender. Like, we don't know what gender fluid means because we're idiots, but we like to pretend that it means something else. Anyway, he didn't do a good enough job <laughs> of trying to frighten people about trans kids, which was presumably because he and his political team were aware that that would look stupid in a way that Miranda Devine isn't. It's great. Once again, it's great. I just, and lots of people said it after the election. Keep going, guys. Keep heading out to the right there. Don't listen to like Tim Wilson or Julie Bishop or Malcolm Turnbull. None of those people. No, no. Keep heading out right on the ledge there um, and selling yourselves as completely out of touch dinosaurs uh, that does not get Australia at all. We'd really appreciate that. Keep doing it. Um, We're on board. I got a brief quote here from um, Bolt that I'll drop in where he was being interviewed by somebody on, I think on 2GB in Sydney, where they're trying to describe all of their fake issues, the the billion dollars wasted on a road that didn't get built, uh, the the red shirts thing where they just took money from taxpayers and the and the CFA thing where they, like all of these things which if you are a hard right lunatic, these things seem like self-evident truths of the universe that that uh, Labor has deserves to be punished for cancelling East West Link. I mean, it probably is a bit shonky what Labor did with the um, volunteers and the, and the way that they dealt with their office allowances and, and the way they did that is probably a bit shonky, but in exactly the same way as both big parties do that shit. And I don't think Victoria... I think Victorian voters looked at those issues and went, eh, I don't really believe you shit. Who cares? That's Spring Street stuff. That For all the Ca- Canberra bubble chat that Morrison loves to talk about, they, people don't give a shit about that at all. They care about the stuff that's being built and the promises that were made by the Andrews government that were then fulfilled and the promises to do more stuff, more stuff that will outlast them in office and the economy's booming and the government is using the revenue they're getting to make stuff to make Victoria a better place to live. That's what they care about, you silly numpties. Well, I'll drop it in here. Here's here's the audio of them. Like, here are two conservative people who have absorbed this stuff to the point where they think it is true and holy writ, and they don't get that anyone could call bullshit on it. Here they are. But as you say, there was a litany of reasons that you would have forgiven the Victorian voter for turning against the Labor Party. Uh, the Richmond Safe Injecting Room, so-called Safe Injecting Room, the Safe Schools Program, of course, the Crime and Gang Saga, which just rolls on and on, uh, the problem with terrorism within Melbourne, which doesn't seem to be anywhere else to the same extent. Uh, The red shirt saga, the billion dollar motorway that never happened, the CFA fight that you mentioned, and yet none of that seemed to matter. Well, it's so interesting, uh, just to pick up on one of the things you said there, um, the Liberal Party, short of much to run on, pitched their campaign strongly on a law and order thing. Yes. They did a number of things, but that was one of them. And you would think, that if you're going to do that, law and order, state running out of control, you couldn't have had a more auspicious campaign, much as though uh, you know, news was bad. We had a, in the last two weeks, uh, 
terrorism attack that killed their beloved restaurateur. You had three men convicted of Islamic terrorism. You had another three men arrested, allegedly, for terrorism. And uh, you've had African gangs brawling uh, uh, with police and rioting uh, right up to last Sunday. So if the law and order campaign was ever going to bite, this was the time it would. Absolutely. We've talked about many times the, the, the road thing, like the East West Link thing. If anything, the East West Link thing is a reason why voters should punish the Liberals because that was the bit where Bailey before the election deliberately signed Victoria up to penalties if Labor won and cancelled the road as they'd said that they were going to do because it didn't have a business case. Like, it was an election issue. The Liberals were still in government and they deliberately signed Victoria up to penalties to punish us for voting for Labor. Like, that is shonky as hell and the Libs deserve to be kicked for it. And this is the first opportunity people did have to kick them. So frankly, if you're going to be fired up about East West Link, the Libs deserve a kicking for it. That was an outrageous thing to do. It was like, well, if you, if you kick us out, then fuck you all, you can pay penalties. The rest of it's also a lie. Like, they didn't spend a billion dollars on a road that didn't get built. Um, they cancelled the thing, but they'd already the, the money is mainly from acquiring real estate, which they still own, and is almost certainly worth a lot more than it was when they acquired it. Like, they haven't lost that money. It's still there. They own the, 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 the that real estate they acquired hasn't gone anywhere. Anyway, again, Jeremy, I just think a lot of people in the Victorian Liberal Party listen to this podcast. And I don't think you should tell them how wrong they are. I say wholeheartedly, guys, you were robbed, and <laughs> next time around, just um, really lean on that right wing. Uh, safe schools is the problem. Uh, all African people are criminals who should be locked up. Those are your policies. Good luck. Yeah. Oh, keep going on, Reese Wesley. Keep. Yeah, no, have, have, like my, my local member is the, the odious Michael Sucker, and, and he keeps on putting out shit about the East West Link. Yeah, Michael, you're up to a winner. <laughs> Keep going with that one, dickhead. Um, now, I'm going to play several little audio grabs here from some just general insanity on um, Sky this week. We're running a bit short, so I'm not going to. I, I, I will drop them in. We've got uh, Rowan Dean saying that it is treasonous for the, for the ALP to oppose the government building coal power plants. That's apparently treason. Yeah, well, I think this is treasonous, pure and simple. Um, one of the key roles of a government is to secure the en- energy, energy supply for that nation. Starting point of that is building coal-fired or putting forward the, the financial uh, incentives to build coal-fired power stations. We've got Troy Bramston declaring that uh, Malcolm Turnbull is a, is a traitor and, and basically like Kevin Rudd. In fact, he's worse than Kevin Rudd. Had an opportunity to ride off into the sunset and get the sympathy vote. Um, and not yeah. be heard, not be heard of again, and have people say, "Oh, gee, you know, Malcolm wasn't all that bad in, in memory." But every day that he intervenes, and I wasn't a huge Turnbull critic. I understood his flaws and and was able to talk about them. But I but I did think that um, he would not have acted in this way. I mean, he has really taken it to a new level. Um, he is as Machiavellian as bitter, as vengeful as Kevin Rudd was on his worst day. Uh, But Kevin Rudd was clever about it. Kevin Rudd used to ring journalists behind the scenes or plant stories or, you know, keep, keep, keep the undermining quiet. Malcolm Turnbull's, you know, foot in the front door, giving press conferences on Twitter. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. And he's only damaging himself at the end of the day. And the last thing I'll play in terms of, of lunatics having a, I don't know how you describe this. Tom, have you seen the footage of Bob Catter sing about himself to Bad Moon Rising? I have seen this, yes. Insane. I see a bad moon rising. I feel election on the way. I see the major parties fighting. 
I see it's Independence Day. Don't stop frown tonight. We're bound for the fight. There's a crossbench on the rise. I hear hell gates are going. I know irrigation's coming soon. I see the rivers, they are flowing. It's time, it won't be China's boom. Don't stop frowning tonight, we're bound for the fight. There's a crossbench on the rise. There's a crossbench on the rise. I see them. All right, before we finish, I did want to talk about two actual things about the, the, how, as we end the, the year with Samo. Anyway, before we say that, am I being a child calling him Scummo? Because I've, I've, it, how, how sort of broken, childish, juvenile sort of thing is it to, to, to refer to the Prime Minister as Scummo? Or in fact, in relation to many of his um, bullshit lines about, uh, I don't know, refugees and not border security and, and uh, national security and all that shit. Maybe even, because they're, they're pretty scammy. Maybe Scammo. Scammo? Scammo? Like, do you, Tom, do you reckon, I mean, how far off are we going? I think it's fine. As someone who's referred to politicians as much worse, I think Scummo's totally fine. I feel like it fits because because of what they're doing with ScoMo, trying to turn it, like, you know, he writes, he's changed his signature to ScoMo. Like, he's trying to be all blokey and things with it. And, and, and it's this, I feel that that is a damaging thing that we should call bullshit on. I feel like letting him get away with pretending himself, you know, you know, oh, that's Canberra bubble shit, as you say. This bit where he's trying to portray himself as an ordinary knockabout bloke, an outsider and shit, is so false and so ridiculous. Um, and the things he does are so dishonest and so repulsive. I think Scamo and Scummo, I feel like they're the appropriate way to deal with when a politician like Scott Morrison is trying to you know, give himself a Scomo-type uh, friendly knockabout sort of look. I feel like it's the appropriate way. Just an ordinary bloke who's worked within the bubble of uh, the corporate world of politics for most of his life and is on 500 grand a year. Just yeah, a normal dude. Yeah, just a... So I'm going to keep calling him Scummo. I don't think it's too childish. I think it's. I, I think if he wasn't going for Scomo, I'd, I'd feel a bit more conflicted about it. But because the Prime Minister wants us to call him Scomo, I reckon the uh, alternative version is, is entirely legitimate. And he's done two, two uh, revealing things this week. One of them is that fight to try and save Craig Kelly by um, evading, basically setting things up so that he didn't have to face a pre-selection. And the other one is trying to change the rules in the Liberal Party so that they can't roll him if he were in the unlikely event he were to win the uh, next election. Yeah, I mean, extraordinary that happened at the same time. And again, the blatant hypocrisy, the cognitive dissonance between those two things. So they changed the rules in the Liberal Party because Australian voters, they're sick of it, right? They want to vote for someone. They want to have their say. And they don't want the politicians to keep uh, chopping and changing all the time. It's just ridiculous. We've had enough of it. But at the same time, the voters of the seat of Hughes could go get fucked because we're going to just endorse this guy who's there already because if we don't do that, he's going to bring down the government by moving on to the crossbench. Any questions? Didn't think so. Goodbye. It's a pity we don't have the audio of the Craig Kelly rant uh, when when uh, sort of a liberal, was a liberal mayor or something, refused to shake his hand. He sort of started swearing at him and went completely off. Uh, he He is a... Well, he's he's basically Barnaby Joyce, isn't he? I mean, I don't know if he's I don't I don't know if anybody's having an affair with him, but um, in terms of the like, they are the most. Do you know with the Bob Catter quote, 
Bogquetta audio that we played earlier, like it was so much the mediocre white man, the confidence of the mediocre white man. These these are people who have so much sense, so much undeserved self confidence. It just the bit that gets me about the Scott Morrison thing, though. Ignoring his the, the, the shonky politicking about trying to save Craig Kelly. And the bit about him today saying that Bill Shorten was playing politics on national security when their whole thing about national security is always an attempt to wage labour. Like, it has to be done now. We've shut it in the last second. It's purely politics. Like, uh, it's just astonishing. And then I think Christian Porter stood up in Parliament and was saying, oh, how dare they talk about stunts? They're the people who do the stunts. Are you kidding me? You people. Anyway, the bit about the Scott Morrison thing that got me was that it was... And I think there were some quotes from the moderates who had supported the move to change the rules uh, so that you had to have a two-thirds majority role as a prime minister in one election. The point of it was to try and reassure punters. And the media were reporting it as if it should reassure punters that they had actually changed the rules, that if they voted for the Liberals, then Scott Morrison would be prime minister for a whole term, um, which, if anything, would, I would think would terrify voters. But anyway... On the, on the assumption that people are voting Liberal because they like Scott Morrison. Tom, I don't understand how the current Liberal MPs can change the rules in such a way that future Liberal MPs, or even themselves after the election, can't change them back. How could they do that? It doesn't make any sense. Well... Yeah, obviously, a future party room could change it uh, if they want to. Under these rules, if they want to change uh, the leadership of a sitting prime minister, they need what a two-thirds majority, which we're told is very, very rare. Um, it, it doesn't apply if they're in opposition. If they're in opposition, anyone can change, and all the same, same rules apply. But uh, yeah, it's clearly to protect a sitting prime minister is the dream. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, so they say that the new rule is it's going to be two-thirds, and to change the rule, you need two-thirds. But who changed the rule that you needed to have two-thirds to change the rule? A simple majority. Their party room rules are still that stuff happens on a simple majority. So you just, if they decided they wanted to roll a prime minister, it would take two seconds of going, cool, first step, we remove the rule that you need two-thirds majority to change the rule, and then we remove the rule that you need a two-thirds majority, and now we just do it with a majority. The majority of the party room wants a new leader. Done. Like, I don't understand how any journalists are reporting this it's not like they changed the constitution no. of the Liberal Party. They just had a vote, which they can just do a new one of. And the media just go, oh, yeah, no, they've, they've done it. The, the Prime Minister's are more secure now. Oh, they, they, they definitely have to get two-thirds to get them out, and that's really impossible to do. No, it's exactly the same. And you're just promoting this idiotic idea that they can somehow bind to themselves, which they can't. I think just desperate to show that he can do anything. Maybe Scott Morrison said, look, I changed the rules within our own little party briefly, so I'm in control. I'm a strong daddy. Respect me. <laughs> yes, I am. I, I am totally in control, and that's why Parliament needs to shut down immediately before I can lose a vote on the floor of the House of Reps. <laughs> and Craig Kelly is an outstanding candidate. That's why we need to protect him at all costs from any challenges, and he doesn't need to defend his positions or his record of screwing shit up in this last Parliament. Um, also, we didn't do this for any uh, women sitting MPs to protect them whatsoever, but we don't have a problem and we don't need quotas because it's all about merit. That's right. It's a meritocracy and that's why we're forcing the people in that seat to have Craig Kelly as their MP even if they don't want him. <laughs> the ice cream guy. It's merit. This is the ice cream guy, everyone. Just remember that. Oh, I, I just love every time they run the... Like, there is nothing funnier than somebody on the front bench of the Liberal Party standing up and running the argument that their party runs on merit. <laughs> just with all of the rest of their party around them. 
Um, we can see them, guys. Look, they're there. Ah, oh, Tom. It is now the end of the end of the parliamentary year. We've got a break over summer. What do you reckon that we, as ordinary people who are trying to minimise the amount of damage that these Muppets can do to our entire country, what what can we do? What what are, what are your thoughts? Oh my lord! Um, look, I mean, as ever, uh, stay engaged and join parties that reflect your values and get involved. Uh, remember that electoral politics isn't everything in in the whole game. But I guess yeah, if, you know, twenty nineteen is an election year, and we just can't let folks forget what the hell has happened over the past five years, both in policy, in process. Uh, in general demeanour and hypocrisy when it comes to the Australian government, this coalition government has been an absolute shambles. Even if they weren't a shambles, if they were really effective at executing their agenda, they would still be horrible because they're the coalition and they want terrible things for Australia. So keep that in mind at all times. And if you're involved with the Labor Party at all, please shake them on a regular basis and remind them uh, that they're supposed to be the party for working people, for ordinary people, and are supposed to be representative of the left and progressive values. And they should not get terrified and try and make themselves a small target before this election. They should present a bold progressive agenda for people so that they can vote for that on election day and get good stuff done. For example, as the Victorian Labor Party managed to do. Yeah. Save its bullshit attacks on the Greens and that crap. And yeah, there's, there's some stuff about... What happened to the Greens in the Victorian election? That we'll have to talk about it in a future podcast. But without, without quite so much of the just spiteful being being dicks to the Greens stuff, that would be great. <laughs> if you guys could do the progressive stuff without feeling that you need to bash the Greens who are also trying to do progressive stuff. That'd be nice. That'd be wonderful, please. Yes. Now, that is one way of approaching it. But I actually was thinking of something else. I was thinking that one of the ways that we could approach it. And I would like to hear... See, everyone who's listening to this, uh, well, may we say, episode, um, in particular, most of the hosts, anyone who's, who's planning on hosting the podcast or guest hosting with me, I'd like to see us go out there with a an award-winning comedy show next year of some kind that could possibly advocate for many of these things in an amusing way that would persuade people. Uh, of uh, Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like that is something that <laughs> maybe not all of us can do, but at least some of us could probably do it. What do you reckon, Tom? Oh, yes. Well... It's so funny that you mentioned that, Jeremy, because I happen to be touring in 2019 with a brand new stand-up show called Enough, which is basically me yelling about capitalism for an hour and about how insane this Morrison government has been and uh, how about uh, this whole constant neoliberal nightmare we live in where uh, money is prized above all else is destroying our collective future. It's very funny. Oh, my God. I wish I'd known about that. It works out really well with what I was saying as a suggestion. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that fits in really well. Uh, it's going to Perth for the Fringe Festival. It's going to the Brisbane Comedy Festival, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and the Sydney Comedy Festivals. All the details are at comedy.com.au. I'd love people to come along, particularly, well, may we say, listeners. And uh, we'll have a grand old time together and lead the revolution. It'll be good. I'm sure we will all be there, Tom. Thank you so much for coming back. It has been glorious. Glorious once again. Thank you. Um, well, may we say thank yous. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. You help. Uh, by funding the show you keep it running uh, thank you to everybody who's left in fact you know, a, a bigger thank you you guys really are how the show keeps going thank you very very much every every bit of that support makes an enormous difference 
But also, thank you everybody who has left a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you everybody who has spoken with us and contributed uh, on the at Well May We Say uh, Twitter. And we, we love getting your feedback and interacting with you on, on, the, uh, on the Twitters. And thank you, Robin Gray, for the music and Alex Long for the artwork. Tom, you'll be uh, back next week with a stuck in my craw. Oh, try and stop me, Jeremy. I don't know that I could. I mean, that... <laughs> I, I mean, I did give you a key to the house, and you have been known to sort of break in, change, edit the podcast, add things in. I'm so sick of guest hosts doing that, actually. Maybe I should. I should stop. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll think it through. I'll, I'll find. I'll, no, but actually, actually, I want you to do it, so I'm not going to stop you. Won't stop you at all. In fact, you can just send it to me. You can okay, send it to me. I'll add it, actually add it myself. There you are. Deal. That'll be awesome. So, uh, we are not, although Parliament's off for the year, uh, we have slightly more of a work ethic than Parliament, so we should be back next week. We're presumably not talking about what Parliament's just done, but just because Parliament's gone doesn't mean that the parliamentarians won't be doing bad shit and making fools of themselves and trying to harm us all. So, still, I'm sure there'll be plenty to still talk about. Unless we did fix it. Unless this episode, and in fact, the suggestions that we made were enough to actually... I think so. ...fix everything? Anyway, thank you everybody for being back. We'll see you all next week. Good night. Goodbye.